Well, good evening, nonfiction branders. It's me, DP Knuton, and I've got a really special guest. This is Lisa Galea, and she is actually a little bit north and a tad bit east of Sydney and just south of Brisbane in Gold Coast, right? Now, first question you got to answer is, is it Gold Coast or the Gold Coast? Gold Coast. So there is no definitive article in Gold Coast. Very cool. Well, anyway, welcome to the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. I'm really excited to talk to you because as we were kind of doing a little bit of pre-show banter, it seems like we probably have similar careers, but different. And what I mean by that is I'm obviously coming from a writing background as a longtime copywriter and creative director. But you, on the other hand, are coming from the distaff side of creative land, which is art direction. And for any nonfiction branders out there who have not been in a creative department at an ad agency or a design firm, typically brains are bifurcated into you're a writer or you're an art director or graphic designer. So oftentimes people will be paired up. A writer will be paired up with a graphic designer or an art director with a design sensibility. I like to think of it as the visual and the verbal. Someone's got to be better at verbal. Someone's got to be better at visual. But ideally, there's a lot of crossover. 100%. We really do the same job, but I output it visually and you output it with words, I think. Yeah. And one of the things you learn, especially working at an ad agency, is when you find a creative who you mesh with, treasure them like the rarest pearl in the ocean because it doesn't happen often. And I think we're all aware of Walt Disney, you know, and his whole idea of plussing things. And it's, it's kind of funny. I, I say this because I look at your LinkedIn banner for your profile and it's a quote from Walt Disney. People often ask if I know the secret of success and if I could tell others how to make their dreams come true. My answer is you do it by working. Walt Disney. Why did you choose that quote from Walt? to be your kind of mantra on the banner of your LinkedIn profile? Well, Walt Disney is, I've been collecting memorabilia since I was 11. So I do have a big room that is now decorated with Mickey things. Only Mickey Mouse is now allowed in my house. I have to put a ban on most Disney. So Walt Disney, though, I've read all his stories and I really loved how he ran his business. And you have to put energy in, but you can dream as big as you want, but then just I believe you put energy in. You have to make the effort to get your dreams to come true. But I do believe dreams can come true. That I think is in my definitely core belief. Well, looking at your resume listing or your CV listing in LinkedIn, you've worked for yourself quite a long time. Can you give us a quick overview of the career of Lisa Galea of Gold Coast, Queensland, Australia? Well, interesting. I'm from London originally. But my parents moved to Australia. We traveled. I lived in Middle East, Africa. We traveled to Australia when I was a teenager, did university here, and I studied science and genetics. Two years in, was like, what am I doing? I'd done art history and moved over to design. Then I went straight back to London. My dad was like, why don't you go back to London and see what it's like working there? I was thinking of getting married. I was like 19 as a silly girl. But I got to London and did five years working in advertising there. So that was really my, you know, my groundwork where I learned my craft, I believe, in print design. And because I knew computers so well and I'd been using programming since I was like 11, 
studying design at university and college, there was no computers. My first year out, Apple took over the world. Right. There was a lot of creatives who couldn't use computers. And I was like this science nerd who could also do creative. So I got to work with some really top creatives, really making what they wanted happen on screen and print out and produce as they wanted, which it used to be a lot harder. Like, you know, there was no drop shadow button. So it was a lot harder to create that sort of stuff back then. Yeah. So I did that for five years and then moved back to Adelaide, Australia with my family. I eventually realized my parents were right. I'd probably have a better life in Australia than living in London, even though it's my hometown and I'll always love London. I worked in wine labels in Adelaide. There's not much advertising happening there. It is a city in Australia, but I'd say smaller town version, we would call it. What's the population? Probably got a million. I wouldn't know for now, but it it is a small country town. Everyone knows each other. A city with one big main street. Got it. It's a beautiful place to live. It's a beautiful place lifestyle-wise, but there wasn't really advertising going on on that level. But the wine industry is massive there. Hardy's, Penfold's. So I ended up working in the wine label industry for a few years. And then me and my husband went on a road trip up to Queensland and I never went back home. I'd sort of just was like, I'm over it. I almost felt like I'd been designing and I was just pumping stuff out. Like I almost was at a toothpaste factory. It was just too easy. And it was just all the time wine labels. And I'm I'm not that sort of person who likes to do repetitive stuff. So we went traveling and just decided Queensland went all the way to the top and got on the beach and I was like, there's coconuts and palm trees and like no one on the beach is exactly what you'd imagine Australia to be like. Whereas Adelaide's like an English country town, but weather, it's got English weather, the proper seasons up here. We just have wet and dry seasons, much more tropical. And I was like, this is where I want to live. If I'm going to live in, not in London, I want to live holiday. So basically we started our own marketing business. He was already doing sales for car dealers, like running events. He'd been doing that in Adelaide. So he just came up to Queensland. I started working with him doing all the direct mail and the advertising side of it. And yeah, we've been doing that for 23 years, I think. You know, that's the wonderful thing about being a creative. You can basically work anywhere because your stuff is, your tools are all in your head. You can go anywhere and reset up your computer system or whatever you want. And you can do it literally from anywhere. If you have developed what I would call a personal brand that allows people to know who you are, what you do and how you do it so that they come to you. I mean, yeah, you have to do some outbound marketing, but if you're a good creative, you have to do very little of that because your current customers become what I like to call your unpaid sales force. 100%. When someone says, oh my gosh, where'd you get that fantastic brochure? Where'd you get that wonderful video? I love the way your website, you know, or how it tells the story. Where'd you get that? That's when your customers start selling for you because they chose you because you are completely true to who you are as a person and you communicate that via everything you do. You demonstrate it. And, you know, I see you nodding your head. Tell me if that rings true to you. Oh, 100%. I've never really, it's all really been word of mouth. Even moving up here, I I had children then. I was in that stage of life. I'd got married. I had my children and I was known for doing wine labels. They found me up here. An ad agency had asked and they were like, oh, Lisa does wine labels. Queensland's not a very big wine place. And I just got contacted doing work for that. And then people found out. I I decided I wasn't going to do design. I started doing filmmaking for people. 
But unfortunately, you're asking for their footage and it didn't really work out because you can't run a business where you ask people to do things. So then eventually my graphics just built up and it was really slowly at the big, like my studio at the beginning was just odd work, word of mouth. And then that, that's just grown and grown and uh, that's really uh, been my main, I think, when they trust you. Someone said to me, oh, they move on. I'm like, you can raise your prices if you've helped the customer earn more money. Right. My customer for 10 years, they're not going to, they've not going away because I'm part of their team. I help them grow to that position. So they're happy to pay me more money now. I'm now like in their marketing, like I'm almost their brand consultant marketing department. And I treat my customers like it's my business. And I've grown my other businesses on the side as well. So I think I understand their struggles. I've got two other businesses, a wholesale business, and we've dabbled playing with experiments as different entrepreneurs do during the journey. And so you know the struggles of building businesses. And I see inside how people, businesses work. I've had that privilege as a designer. I think we get to see how other people's businesses work. This episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by my brand new book, Nonfiction Brand. Discover, craft, and communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are. Now available on Amazon.com. Too many people for too many years have labored in obscurity. Why? Because that's the way it's always been. Work for someone else and remain nameless, letting others take credit for your hard work. But in today's hyper-connected everything-is-media world, that's all changed. In 1997, Tom Peters outlined the tenets of a new concept, personal branding. Fact is, if you're not actively branding yourself based on who you are, what you do, and how you do it, you are leaving opportunity on the table. But with this book and a little bit of work, that opportunity is 100% yours to own starting today. Christopher Wilshire, CEO of Egg Strategy, said, This is the kind of book that changes how you view the rest of your career and how you go about amplifying your value to the wider world. To get your copy, head on over to Amazon.com and search Nonfiction Brand, and let's get you all the credit you deserve for the completely true, completely you brand you already are. Well, before we started talking during this podcast, we were kind of, you know, doing a little bit of meet and greet, getting to know each other a little bit. And I was making the point that I'm certainly older. Put it this way, I I like to refer to myself as vintage. And since you come from the wine industry, you'll appreciate what I mean by vintage. And you said more or less that that's a good thing. And that's funny you say that because I believe that to be true. However, one of the big reasons I've been such a violent proponent of personal branding is because I did it so poorly for 20 plus years of my career, where I was the creative engine working with a team behind the wall of an agency, kind of like an engine in a car. Well, here's the thing about an engine in a car. You may be doing really great stuff, but the moment that there is the thought in somebody's mind that, well, there's pro- we should probably get a cheaper, newer engine because it's cheaper and newer, they can unbolt that nameless engine out of the chassis of the agency at any time, and they can just say, we no longer need your services. And I literally was that engine a nameless engine because I didn't bother to name my engine, my brand to the point that people are like, no, you can't get rid of him. He's, he's the reason we're here. But that's what I hear you saying is I'm a brand to the point where people wouldn't even consider leaving me because 
I'm their team. They know me. I'm a member of their staff. And it would never enter their minds to move on. No, they're not. They're like, I'm, I, I'm invested. I love them. That's what I believe. They should love me. I should love them. Otherwise, I'm not really happy working for you. One of the points I wanted to make about bringing up the whole age aspect was that I do agree with you that there is value in having people who work for you who've had their own business. Oh, 100%. Yeah, who understand the pressures and the weight and the stress and the, no, I'm not just saying change it because of, you know, whatever. It's because we need it to be a certain way and there are reasons for it. One of the things a lot of young creatives do is get very, very obstinate about making changes or you can see it on their face in a meeting where they just, they hate it because you're messing with their baby. And the thing is, dude, I hate to tell you, it's not your baby. It's their baby because they're paying for it. Exactly. Now, you can, if you build your brand the right way, be that provocative, creative resource that helps them get better work. I mean, I, I've seen your work and I follow you on Instagram and things like that. And I can tell that I'm guessing that you have regular conversations with clients on, yes, we could do it cheaper or yes, it could be that, but consider this. 100%. I've actually got a one customer who's been with me a very long time. And I think I'll tell you the story of how we actually secured him as a customer, but he will come in. He's 91 years old, a developer. So he's very strong minded. And sometimes he asks for changes and I will do exactly what he says always. But I would also then produce another copy of the brochure and say, well, this is what I would suggest. But here's both. What do you think? I want you to see both changes so you know the option. But of course, I'm doing what you say. He pays me and very big money. So if he wants to see his way, I, it is my job to educate him and I believe show him what it should be, but it's also my job to serve him and do what he says because he pays the bills. And if he can't see his version didn't work, it's much easier for me to show both. Well, what you're doing when you do that, and this is, again, something that a lot of service people don't get is when you show the A, which is their version, and your B version, by showing the A, you're showing respect for them, what they've asked for, you've heard them, you've demonstrated that you listen, but you also do the Walt Disney thing. You say, I listened, I understand, but I'm going to add more. I'm going to plus it up. I'm going to use my experience and expertise to try to give you a better product, not for more money, but for the money you're paying. I want to give you at least the value you're paying for and ideally value plus 100% I think one of my uh, one of my customers did you know came back to me after a few years got you know as a marketing consultant and I said well this is my price now you know that was three years ago I'm now this price and they're like oh Lisa you know we can get someone for this dollar an hour so and I'm like that's fine because I can't go down to that price now I why would I do that I've got other clients filling my time within three weeks they're back to me and go but the thing is Lisa they just do what I ask Bingo. And a customer yesterday in my meeting said to me, well, I asked them to do this and they just gave it back to me what I'd asked for. And I was like, I think lots of designers forget how would a customer know what to ask for? They're not designers. Right. 
They know they should be giving us the clues of what they want and, you know, what the physical assets are that need to be on the page. And like you said, we respect that. But it is our job as designers to educate them and say, this is what good design is. And I think they recognize that and trust that trust builds as the more you show, then the end, you don't have to show them the junk one because they just go do whatever you want, Lisa. What you're doing right now is what I preach every Sunday in the Church of Nonfiction Branding, which is you have to demonstrate. You can say all you want, but you have to demonstrate. And what I mean by that is I got a little write-up that Lisa sent to me about her background a little bit. And it has the, the blah, 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 how many years in business, brands she's worked for, you know, that type of stuff. But she also has one line of copy that meant more to me and communicated more to me than anything else in there. And it says, she can tell in a second what will stand the test of time and what will date quicker than blue eyeshadow. That's what someone like me would want in a designer, which is I want it to be trendy, but not too trendy. I want it, I, I, I want it to be classic, but not too classic. It, you know, our, our brand is somewhere between classic Chanel and Alexander McQueen. You know, uh, can you help me out? And what they're really saying is, I don't want a specific look. I want a look that fits us like a bespoke suit. Are you a bespoke tailor that can deliver that look, that totally branded look? And from what I've seen you do, and based on what I know about you right now, I think the answer is yes. I think I've got to that point. I mean, it's 30 years on, you learn a lot of information and I am having that big picture business point of view. And yeah, I believe, yes, I definitely can do that for people. And I've now, I study so much, I love fonts and I've studied font psychology. I've done a lot on neuroscience. Having that science background is all sort of woven in together that I study behavioral economics and how our brain works and why we make decisions and fonts are body languages. It's not really a choice. It's okay to be trendy on social media and do what you want, but they are saying so much to that person without that person even realizing. So having that sort of knowledge, I think also gives clients trust. Well, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. One of the things that I'm not a big believer in is the word salad after people's names, like certifications and stuff. Why? Because I'm a do-it-yourself guy, right? Everything I do is do-it-yourself. DPDIY is what I call it. And that's, I've been a self-taught everything my entire life. Like the guitars behind me, self-taught, which is why I, I don't play out much. Believe me, you don't want to hear it. But I will say this, that uh, you recently got a behavioral economics certification from Ogilvy Consulting, you know, taking the course. And I hate to say it, but you've been in your career quite a few years. I mean, at this point in your career, my career, people tend to stop flying and start coasting. And I got to tell you, I'm kind of impressed by that. It was awarded on January 3rd of 2021. So, I mean, that's really, really fresh. And it's about behavioral economics from Ogilvy Consulting, which is, you know, David Ogilvy was one of the superstars of advertising from the previous century, which wasn't all that long ago. Well, one of the, the actual story of how we got that customer was from um, David Ogilvy's, uh, one of his ideas. We uh, sent the customer a, we had the meeting and then we sent a carrier pigeon. 
and the girl sat in reception for like four hours waiting for our 90-year-old man, who this was 15 years ago, to come downstairs. Eventually, his reception said, they're not going. They're standing there with a box and a pigeon. And when he opened the box, it said, it's either yes or no. He had to just write it on and put it in the pigeon. And I think for him, he loves to tell that story when we introduces us of how we got that attention. And I mean, he walked out and sent the pigeon out the front door of his building. That's how you get attention. But that was, it was David Ogilvy's idea. I wouldn't like to take the uh, credit for it, but that's how you get attention. That's you go above and beyond. Yeah. And you demonstrate the quality of your thinking and you know, it, it sounds like you embrace that philosophy from the get-go. I think you should always be learning too. That's why I study. Like I studied Kate's course three years ago on SEO. I probably every year I pretty much study something. Like one year I'd do guitar lessons. I'm always on a, a little bit of, I did ballroom dancing for four years. I always go on little tangents where I'm learning things. I've learned to cook. So I am always think it's good for your brain to be learning good things. Yeah. And frankly, it informs everything you do for your clients. And I'm guessing it's kind of core to your brand foundation. Have you done any deep thinking and actual codification of your Lisa Galea personal brand? Or is it you're a small business? So is there a difference between Burning Love Creative and Lisa Galea? I think yes. And I believe like you, DP, I have uh, not been online enough. Like I've built that solid foundation and it's been a word of mouth thing, but I should have been building up Lisa Gallia as a personal brand as well. I've been really anti and my daughter's just got into university. So that's excellent. But we had a lot of trouble with bullying, social media from probably age 13. So it was an area I was like, this is the most vile thing that's been invented. Why is anyone going on there? I'm not going on there. And I had, I mean, I've dealt with a lot of things. So I can't believe what people do because they're allowed to hide. Yeah. So I've really been sort of anti it. But then last January, I was like, it's time, Lisa Gallia. I feel like I found my voice and I was like, it's time for Lisa to get out there. And I went on, I only started like last February online. But they are two different things because burning love, I don't believe from social media. I've got enough work from that word of mouth and it being right. solid. But I want to, last year, I I think you'll notice I did, I was like, I can only help people one-on-one. So I did uh, Papua New Guinea for the Australian Awards. I've done mentoring, but it's been one-on-one really or small groups. Whereas I really, my long-term plan is to be able to help more people. Mm -hmm. And I know I have to get out there and be online to do that. So, but I've met amazing people. I've loved it. It's the completely new, exciting world, finding out about social media and how it works. People who don't do social media, and I'll be honest with you, I don't like it. It's not my milieu. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit painful, but I'm also smart enough to recognize that I could take a pen knife and try to cut down a tree, or I could use a chainsaw. It's powerful. Chainsaws, oh, powerful. Chainsaws are deadly. Chainsaws can be wielded by artists creating sculptures. Or it can be wielded by leatherface-wearing Texas Chainsaw Massacres. Yeah, exactly. So 
I totally get where you're coming from because that's where I was. You know, I look back and I've told this story on the podcast before. I look back when I joined things like Twitter and it was like the first year Twitter was out. I was an early adopter of all these things because I had to understand them. I didn't want to do them, though. Well, same for me. I put social media. I've worked into it. I understand it. I know the yeah. value. I know how it works. But I was like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And I actually liked what you said in your last podcast. I'm really excited to get your book. But with the selective, um, selective authenticity, I think that was like that rang through. It's like, okay, you, you don't have to tell them everything. And it's like, I don't, that's what I've sort of struggled with. Where's the line of, where do you draw the line of? And some people I see telling everything. And it's just been, I think, working out what part of my story do I want to share? And where am I at with all of that sort of stuff? Yeah, and we're going to talk more about that in the second episode that I'm doing with Lisa. But I'm looking at the clock and we're getting close to that 30 minute mark, which means it's time for me to kind of wrap things up a little bit. Lisa, I want people to be able to know how they could contact you or connect with you. Is there a place online that is kind of your best place for people to engage with you? Instagram at the Lisa Gallia is the best place. Shoot me a DM. I love to chat and get to know you in there. That's my most social place. Or I go to my website, lisagallia.com. But if you want to just get social and drop in for a chat, I'd go to Instagram. And Galia is, or Galia, Galia. I've been saying Galia, and that's incorrect. It's Galia. I say it as Galia. I hear other people, but my husband's family say it as Galia. So I'm like, I'll stick with that. So Lisa, spelled L-I-S-A, Galia, G-A-L-E-A. Definitely check her out online and follow her on Instagram because you're going to see some really great design, if for no other reason. Definitely worth it. That's it for this week on the Nonfiction Brand Podcast. I, of course, am DP Knudin, but she is... Lisa Galia. And we'll be talking at you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>